This episode of the Last King Podcast is brought to you by Hipster Symmetry. Because everything has to look even on screen. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Last King Podcast. Hey, hey everybody. Hello, I am one of your hosts, Eccentric Tom. And this <laughs> you is forgot Mr. your name for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not quite symmetrical, Mr. Toffee. Always leaning to the left side. Bends <laughs> <laughs> to the left. Not, 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 a, not, not a Wes Anderson production, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, thick and yellow and leaning a bit to the left. <laughs> <laughs> You're a liberal Toffee today. <laughs> Super liberal. <laughs> And I'm, of course, the island of Dr. Morose, Dr. Shafiq, <laughs> trying his now best to hold it together. Yeah, thank you. No because dogs, half dogs, right? Half yeah, dog, half man. There you go. Half dog? <laughs> half cats, too. Don't forget. What are you talking about, sir? And the so, Marlon Of course, we're going to be talking about uh, two movies that came out quite recently, which is uh, the latest from Wes Anderson, hot off the heels of... What was the last thing Grand did? Budapest was his last Grand one. Grand Budapest. Okay, so we that have Isle of Dogs. Five years ago now. Yes. Was it four? Five years four ago. Or five. Oh. No, but that's because I, like. I reviewed it on my other uh, movie review show that I had in university. Okay. Okay. I remember. <laughs> oh, at Hogwarts. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's an elective for no, movies at no, Hogwarts. Hogwarts. The university. <laughs> the university of nudes. Thank you very much. Of uh, nudes. Fantastic. I don't know. I've not read Running in a long time because there's better stuff out there. Well, anyway, yes. Okay, and also uh, another. Uh, adaptation, I would say, from graphic novel to film um, came out yep. mm-hmm. that isn't called Infinity War. Yes, okay. and it's not, and not called movie. Justice League as well. Hey, you're gonna bring that up. <laughs> yeah, but okay, it's definitely. But it is Image Comics, so no, no, no. Uh, yeah, Image Comics. Um, it is. Yeah, yeah it's Image. I think. Image. Yeah, yeah. So go on, go on. We're gonna talk about uh, slightly uh, the movie that um, had a lot going for it, but unfortunately, I mean, I'm not gonna blame the movie. I'm gonna blame the fact that you. You can't hold the candle to the Infinity War yeah, it's just like, typhoon right now. I mean, A for effort, uh, but C for uh, deliverance, I kill giants. We'll talk a bit more about our personal feelings about that later in the show. And, uh, okay, definitely. Yeah. And also, we're going to go take it back to Old Man Corner for a hot second. And we're going to talk about the long-awaited sequel to Karate Kid that is... Apparently, we didn't want, but somehow it showed up. It came no, no, out no, no, on no. YouTube. Let, 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 me, uh, let me make it clear. Oh. No one was asking for this. Except for probably Ralph Macchio. <laughs> Ralph, uh, Ralph Macchio, no um, William Zapka, and a few others. Again, people I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, if if the name appeared in, and they said Light of a Drug Overdose, I would be like, of course, that makes perfect sense. Hence the whole old man corner thing. We're, of course, talking about the Cobra recent Kai. series Cobra Kai. So yeah. if you need me, I'll be in my corner. Uh, in no, here's the thing, right? I would seriously think that, okay, have you seen any iteration of the credit kit? I've seen any the remake them. with uh, Jaden Smith. Smith. Okay, okay, that ruined the franchise. That's the Yeah, kind of. And as an Asian yeah. person, I would say, fuck you, Jackie Chan, for ruining the word karate. Yes. Mm. See? You know, but also also at the same time. Plus, um, it's more kung fu than karate. So. And then, strange enough, because the thing is, if you watch Cobra Kai, people are wondering, how come this seems to be produced by Will Smith? Because he owns the rights to oh, the karate what? kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah. name was in the His executive is, produ- is, production. Under executive producer, you'll see executive producer Will Smith. Will okay. Smith, you had to convince Will Smith to allow this movie to be made. And the thing is, right, it's oh. nice to know that he was nice enough to let 
these two other world actors. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not in the film industry, obviously. I mean, They're doing other things. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, besides, uh, well, I think Crossroads, and then he was in The Outsiders. Yeah. Oh, Crossroads was fun. Yeah, that's yeah. a great movie. You know, apart Fuck from that, Steve Vai is the yes, devil. Yes, exactly. Okay, but yeah. like Ralph Macchio, okay, had a very promising uh, movie career, young. And the thing is, right, you would think that something like the Karate Kid series would launch him into the stratosphere, having a trilogy of its own, one, two, and three. Yeah. And, but know, the trilogy didn't do so hot. I mean, the first film was good. Feel, I mean, yeah. Okay. I liked it a lot, personally. I would, I would say this about Karate Kid and why it's successful. It's basically Rocky for teenagers. Yeah, that's the thing why I like about okay. it. Like, it's a traditional underdog story being done in, properly. Exactly, exactly. Being a teenager in that side of the world and all that, it's, I mean, even from my side, it's fucking brutal having kids like that Johnny kid beating the shit out of you especially when they know karate and all you that you were beaten that hard as a teenager were you thrown off a cliff while riding a bicycle um, Josh maybe. Brolin style <laughs> more on that in a future episode <laughs> but anyway the point is it was it was hitting really it was a really good show and plus it had really good acting I mean not acting like more like good character building between <laughs> Rav Macchio <laughs> it had good acting no not good acting <laughs> Yes, it had good acting. What are okay, you talking okay. about? Okay, 80s style kind of acting okay. from Rob Macho and Pat Morita. No, okay, good he, stuff from those two. Let me try and like explain the credit kit to all you whippersnappers out there who have never Please seen do. a movie from the 80s. Yes, okay, Grandpa so, Shafiq. So Grandpa Shafiq here. Now sit down. Let me tell you a tale about this young boy, Raph Macho, who uh, now playing Daniel LaRusso. Yep. Comes from the big city to... Where's this town supposed to be? It's uh, set in some part of California, right? A part of California. So, like, okay, immediately we have the fish out of water story where we have this uh, very... I think it's from Brooklyn or New Jersey originally, right? Brooklyn, Brooklyn. I think... Ish. Oh, is it Jersey? I'm from Jersey. Uh, I can't really recall, but the thing is... He's a white kid from... He's got that Christ. accent. No, yes. he's not a white kid. He's a LaRusso. He's an Italian kid. Hey! So, white kid. Yeah. Italians are white at this point. No, but at the same time, it's like you're going up against the beach blonde... Uh, you know Johnny and his gang. Ah. Yeah. That you see that you already visually can see a clash of uh, culture and style. Mm-hmm. And then the thing is, okay, what I like about this it's um, it's not only a fish out of water story. It's about finding your uh, inner strength from something as uh, mundane as just simply believing in yourself. Because if you think about it, right, Rocky. Maybe why we make the parallels to something like Rocky. Rocky is about some little, little Italian guy yes. who has to go up against, you know, the ultimate guy. Yeah, the heavyweight, yeah. In a tournament setting, you know, with your mentor at your side. And it's just about you believing in yourself, you know. Mm. Plus, cool training montage. Exactly, yes. Probably yeah. still the best training montage. Yeah. Rocky? Yeah. I agree. Also, second to that, Karate Kid. Because everybody remembers Wax On, Wax Off. Not just that. You're the best. The whole fight scene and everything. The last tournament. That's the one thing I want to complain about mostly in the Cobra Kai uh, TV series. Where's my Joe Esposito? Exactly. (laughs) Okay. I love the fact that you got like... Poison and you got, you got Queen as well too. And you got Guns N' Roses. Yes. So it's like, I love how you're like, oh, you have like the soundtrack of that era. But then it's like through the eyes of the kids. Uh, Because there's uh this very interesting scene, right? Where, okay, so... We're jumping ahead. Maybe... Let's not harp too much on the classic Karate Kid. Let's uh, uh, just talk about basically this... uh, It's not even a sequel. It's what do you call it? A follow-up TV show? I would say a follow-up TV show. The spin-off series? Like 20, 30 years after the first Karate Kid. After Johnny lost. Let me ask you this. Is it worth watching this if you haven't seen the original Karate Kid? Because the thing is, it stays true to what made the original so great, which is a story about uh, discovering your own self-worth and how like the characters are very compelling because now the roles are reversed. Now the underdog is the, what do you call, the, the fallen hero, the fallen guy, uh, Johnny, who yeah, was yeah. the main antagonist from the original film. 
And then who... I mean, he only appeared for a hot second in the second movie, right? And then he was replaced by a Japanese... Uh, a Japanese bad guy in the yeah. Okinawa story, yeah, okay. in part two. So, like, okay, I'm not gonna... I'm gonna try my best not to harp too much on the original trilogy or the following up movie with Hilary Swank. Yeah, which... Or the they're, reboot. They're, yeah, they're terrible. Yeah, yes. leave that alone. But if anything... So, I mean, what I love is that it takes the mythos and it also takes the lore of the original movie and literally puts it on its head because the thing is now we're rooting for Johnny yes and my favorite moment okay spoilers are plenty but then again this is a YouTube series how do you spoil a YouTube series you know and if you're gonna pay good money for this you have to subscribe to YouTube Red if you wanna see the whole thing which unfortunately is still very wonky in Singapore you, you, yeah. you just can't you have to go through a VPN yeah, yeah. unfortunately and the thing yeah. is like I'm a fan enough that I had to kind of go through a VPN but mm. the thing is as of now uh, as of this recording right, the first three episodes are free on YouTube Oh, oh yeah, so yeah. like you know, if you if you if you need any convincing, go ahead and check out the first uh, three episodes, which really sets up everything perfectly. Yeah, they got they got a good thing going in the three episodes, introducing you to the lore and everything, and seeing Danny as the car dealership. Now he's actually a rich guy who has a really successful car dealership shop franchise going on. And also at the same time, like if you're wondering whether like, oh, do I need to see the original movie to in- to get invested in this? You don't because nope. they flash back very often. Okay, so often, they explain yeah. what yeah. happened. The first episode, a lot of context. Yeah, the first episode had a flashback to the last fight anyway. I mean, of the, the first film. The, to, the, to the very legendary crane kick sequence. Yes. <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah. Isn't it meant to be an illegal move? That kind of high kick in karate? And they brought it up yeah, too because like there's, there's literally a scene where it's like, oh, this is the guy. Oh, well, technically you sweep the leg. Well, technically what you did was an illegal move. And yeah. it's like, hmm. no, but I love the fact that um, I never thought that Johnny had much depth in the original movie because he was supposed to be somewhat sort of one note. One know, note bad guy, bully. yes. So you mean an 80s villain? An 80s villain. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you give him all this backstory. And then like my favorite part about Johnny is his origins where they show I think it was a 6 or 7 episode right yeah, yeah. where he ha- they showed that he had a really rough childhood why he became who he was was because of his father played this by Ed Asner by the way definitely a series which could only no, be Ed made Ed was the stepfather not step-father, the original, original yeah. this, stepfather sorry, this is yeah. a series that can definitely only be made in the 21st century mm-hmm. where we started saying oh villains are more compelling if you feel sorry for them not true. But at the same time, when you flesh it out, it's like, yeah, he's still a bad edge guy, a tough guy, but at the same time, you kind of feel for that guy and kind Wait. of want him to elevate his dojo. But that's sense. my point. I mean, that's why it was Thanos such a compelling villain in Infinity War. Yes, we're still talking about Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we got at least a little bit of a hint of, oh, I understand. And my counter to that is the Joker from The Dark Knight. Like, I don't feel sympathy for him at all. I'm yeah. just literally mesmerized by the charisma of this guy. Yeah. So right. I mean, it, it's uh, but the thing is, but like, it doesn't imply like tragic story. It doesn't imply a tragic story, but the thing is, it, it it just shows you that that is the catalyst for this character Johnny's arc. Which yeah. no, in in a way, it kind of feels like you know what? Yeah, there's no there's nowhere else that this can come from. Yeah, yeah. And but at the same time, it actually makes sense to see it laid out the way it is, and you kind of want to root for Johnny in the end. Sort of. And then, like, yeah. here's another thing I love about uh, Cobra Kai, the, the the show in general, yeah. is how it takes a dump on all you entitled millennials <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it's literally yeah. telling, like, because the thing is, right, there's this kid who goes to Johnny. So it's yeah. a reverse karate kid where now the bad guy becomes the mentor to Are the next generation. talking about the kid actor, M- Miguel, right? Yeah, Miguel. the young Miguel. So this young kid, Miguel, he's a, he's, he's a socially awkward guy. He gets bullied and then he, cr- he chances path. Is it like a reverse Mr. Miyagi story? Mm-hmm. Where he gets bullied and then it's Johnny who's like, hey, yo, stop picking on this kid. Actually, no. Stop hitting my car. Yeah. yeah. But I'll kick your ass, kid. And then he's like, so this kid, like, okay, uh, 
hey, because the things they also happen to be next door neighbors. Mm. So he's like definitely telling Jolly, hey, could, could you teach me that stuff, like that that kung fu stuff? It's karate. It's old school karate, and then it has one of the most interesting, uh, what do you call, mentor to apprentice sequences ever. Yes, because yeah. traditionally it's always the young one will seek the knowledge and he will just bend to like the master's whims yeah like okay you have to do this you have to do that you have to carry the buckets of water on top of the mountain and yeah and here we have this whingy kid do I have to I have asthma and then like, literally Johnny's like telling him there's no asthma or peanut allergies all in that this made up dojo shit. Yeah, all that made up shit yeah. <laughs> and then like the kid is like but those are real things how are you gonna be tough if you don't start thinking tough yeah. and it's like I love that because the thing is like it speaks to me as like um, how my generation was treated by my mentors and my teachers. Yeah. Where it was all about tough love. And like you're seeing these kids going through tough love and like just seeing that typical, like I mean, it's like that very typical millennial entitled reaction to like, do I have to? Yes, do 50 knuckle push ups. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it's like, how are you gonna punch things if your hands are not strong enough? You know, like, and he's like, like literally just telling them logically, yes, you know, and. A very quintessential scene is basically when he weeds out all the so-called, okay, if you can't take this shit, please get out. Yeah, yeah. He did I, that when there was the sign-up, after the sign-up thing and the thing everything. is, like, I love characters who don't suffer fools gladly. Just yeah. literally like, look, if, if you can't handle the shit, get out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I loved it a lot. And especially like seeing... Um, there was a kid with the lip, right? Yeah, who had He's his cleft lip, yeah. right? Oh, okay. And I love the fact that Johnny was especially hard on him and he had the best reason possible. Look... I didn't give you the cleft lip. Life gave you the cleft lip. And guess what? Life is going to constantly remind you of your cleft lip. I'm going to call you lip forever because that's what defines you right now. And the guy is like sobbing and kind of like whinging and crying and being sad. And he's like saying, but that's not fair. Life is not fair. So you have two choices. Get out or you do something about it. And he did something and about it. And he did it. something about it. He comes back with a brutal mohawk and a back tattoo. And he's called Hawk. And now he's called Hawk because the thing is, yes, you take the, what it is that is your fault or your weakness and you turn you, you turn the tides. It's up to you. You should not let society give you a pass because of your disability or your defect. No. Make something of yourself. And I love that. I love that very 80s get up and go do it yourself kind of aesthetic which like a lot of people were, like used to they use that to vilify Johnny. Yes. Yeah. Because like, oh, he's such a mean guy. He's a bully. And it's like, you see the world through his eyes. He's like, no, I'm not a bully. I just don't take shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is that's how like I've survived, but unfortunately did not succeed so much in life. And it's a nice, how you say, progressive art because you see like, no, success to him has been taken away. He didn't lose success. You know, it's, it's just a series of unfortunate events for his story. Exactly. Okay. And the thing yeah. is like, he deserved to win that tournament. Yeah. So in a sense, it's like, I also like the fact that Oh my god, Daniel LaRusso is an asshole. <laughs> he never deserved anything. And like, I think there was this one uh, YouTube video that famously called it out, right? That actually Daniel LaRusso was the villain. I don't know if it was like... And that was also turned into a How I Met Your Mother kind of joke. Yeah, as well know, too. because yeah. if you think about it properly, Daniel LaRusso was an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and, and like, Johnny was the true hero He was minding his own business and then like all this shit. But it's like, okay, I don't want to go too much into it because it's just basically spoilers. But yeah. it, like, I didn't expect, just like Thanos, mm -hmm. to sympathize with the ex With Johnny from the Karate Kid. With Johnny yes. from the Karate Kid. I'm looking at him like, oh my, because the thing is like, as a, as a young boy, like I dreamed of beating up my Johnny. Uh -huh. You know, I dreamed of one day beating up my Johnny. That's a drop. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Go on, go on. Tip your waiters. <laughs> but I was like, I also want to say this is like, I looked at uh, something, like, something as the, like the Karate Kid, and you watch it at a certain age, yeah. and you, yes, yeah, being a young nerd myself, I too was the you know the victim of 
several uh, insults and harsh words from uh, kids from the school. Of course. And then, of course, like, you know, yes, you know, the ultimate male power fantasy is like, one day I'll learn karate and kick this guy's ass. Yeah, be the shit out of... Or at least find some way to fight back. Yeah, yeah. true. But then, no, I decided to be just become successful elsewhere. But besides okay. that, <laughs> I want... I look at Karate Kid and like, I look at Cobra Kai now and I was like, no, Johnny was like basically minding his own business. He, like, LaRusso inflicted himself on him. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, right, like, he didn't mean for all this to happen. And in the end, it's also, I mean, I also love the fact that it's very similar to something like, say, Three Billboards. Yeah. Where, like, you know, hate and violence just begets more hate and violence. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the thing is, right, you can blame the origins, you can blame society, or you can blame the environment, or you can even blame the person for allowing that to change him. But, but you know if you're mean and like the thing is plot twist the ending is perfect it is it is like how this like this TV show okay it doesn't deserve to be this good it's like it's like, like the way it ended it wasn't it's okay. perfect yeah of course what happens to the kids it's not what yeah. happens to Johnny yeah. and you see like like you know the failings of a teacher I especially love that moment especially during the final tournament yes yes when you see like everybody's arc resolved and you're like yeah to me, this is why this. Uh, but this it does make sense because Cobra Kai has that mentality: strike first, no mercy, right? And the thing is, it's not Johnny's fault because yeah. that's how he was taught. It's yes. the yes. fault of the teacher because it's not just his dad; it's also Reese. Chris, Chris, yeah. Chris, I'm yeah. sorry, Reese. Chris with a spoon. Yeah, <laughs> she was the evil bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sensei Chris, yeah. Sensei Chris, hash. Oh, what's the uh, sweep the leg? Yes. <laughs> Sensei, sweep the leg, Reese. Chris, yeah. sorry. Yeah, there you go. But you know, um, so. Yeah, then it brings up like very you know interesting questions. Is it is it you know nature or is it nurture, or is it both? You know, and I, and I, and I totally enjoyed it because then the thing is like you had the heroic arc of Daniel Russo, and you see him fail as a father, fail as a person in control of his own life. Yeah. yeah. Because basically, you see him get cucked the fuck out, you know, because he's surrounded by his like his wife makes all the important decisions in the of house. Course, yeah. His daughter is starting to hate him because he's turning to be a goofy dad who's like you know. A but, bit more rebellious and also yeah, knows karate too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, like, okay, one nitpick I have is the fact that this universe is too intertwined <laughs> because it's like the the daughter is the one who knocks into Johnny's car yes. and then like he goes to get his car repaired and it's at Daniel LaRusso's place and he finds out that it's the daughter who knocked the car and like, I guess... But at the same time, it just feels like yeah. an 80s TV series slash I mean, movie in that sense. Modern audiences will think that it's very lazy writing, but I would no, say no, it's just a throwback. I would just say like it's also no. I also say this, it's also very streamlined. It is. So yeah. it, it cuts the fat by having all the characters interact each other in a uh, in a very tight and consistent way. And you do need to allow for some coincidences because otherwise you just wouldn't have a story. Exactly. Because there is one more coincidence. Bigo, Johnny's son. And Johnny's <laughs> son. Okay, and then he has his own arc too. Yes. So and then like he starts dating Daniel Larusso's daughter. Because of course, sort of, sort, sort of. of. Yeah, because yeah. it's Miguel who likes the you know, little, little, little. They were dating. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then Miguel is the student of Johnny, yeah. and you know Daniel Russo hates Johnny. So like I said, it's very, it's very uh, Romeo and Juliet. Where like, how could is it possible that these characters do, like have intertwined so hard? You're almost selling this for me. You will love it. You yeah, will love it because it's really good. Is, yeah. as a character study and also basically as a TV show, a very short, sharp. Uh, 10 episodes each one about half hour max yeah. yeah and it gets to the point quickly swiftly and the jokes are there you will probably not relate to it as much as a fan of the Karate Kid in general oh for sure not. But, but as good television as, as good television and good storytelling and interesting characters you'll definitely appreciate this okay that's yeah. fine so would you give it as a final rating a final rating I actually watched it more than no, twice this is a, this actually. Is a strong 7.5 upon 10 for me really yeah I'm giving it an 8 
It's probably one of the best shows I've seen this year. Okay, it's on my list. I'll. Um, well, until Kimmy Schmidt finally arrives, yeah. <laughs> which season is a few, four, which is like yeah. a few weeks from now. Or there's another Santa Clarita season. No, nah, I think out. they just had a season this oh, year. Oh, they just this had a year, season, this year so season two. I think oh, next year they bad. will. Okay. Until Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty, 70 more episodes. 70 more episodes, Morty. <laughs> <laughs> 70 more episodes. Seven more seasons, yeah. probably. Jesus Christ. Sci-fi Avengers and getting drunk. But it's not going to be on show. Why are we talking about Rick and Morty all of a sudden? <laughs> TV so, shows, that's why. What about you, Mr. Toffee? What are your thoughts on uh, Cobra Kai? Really good stuff. You actually took the words out of my mouth. Really good character progression and arc and a really good resolution and payoff at the end. Can't wait for season two, that's for sure. But that's going to be a long time off. There's going to be a season two? There There's is. Definitely yeah. They even have a they kind of a cliffhanger, yeah. a cliffhanger ending. The cliffhanger. The cliffhanger. <laughs> no, yes. I mean, it, it can end on its own season anyway. That sounds so like a C-rate uh, villain from Marvel. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Yes. He has the ability to punch you with his hand, which is a cliff. <laughs> He'll punch you through cliffs or over cliffs. Well, he just hands you large rock formations. He turns you into a cliff with his hand. Yeah. You are now the side of a mountain. <laughs> you are sure. now the White Cliffs of Dover. Ha 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 ha. But my final rating, still 8 out of 10. Okay. Really good stuff. 8 out of 10? Yeah. 8 out of 10, yeah. Okay, so um, thank you very much. Uh, so from uh, the, the slithering snakes of Cobra Kai to the fluffy puppies of Isle, Isle of, of Dogs. dogs. Yep. So this is the... Whichever number uh, film from uh, Wes um, Anderson? <laughs> Wes Anderson film. Yeah. It has to be symmetrical, so it's probably like an even number, like 12. He never. He, there was never a film eleven, nine, or seven. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, his first film was his second film already. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, his latest movie and his second ever animated movie. Yes. The After first, first one was Mr. Fantastic Mr. Fox, Mr. Fox starring which George Clooney. I didn't like that much. Really? Because it's it was an uh, adaptation of an existing uh, kid story. Which oh, I, I didn't know that. From Roald Dahl's. Yeah. Yeah. From Roald Dahl's. And it's oh, just, really? It's a Roald Dahl yeah. adaptation. Yeah. But I feel like. Mm. Uh, Roald Dahl's eccentric uh, style and Wes Anderson's unique style. Also didn't, eccentric style. Yeah, yeah. it's just it both two different kinds. It just it didn't mesh very well for me. So I kind of liked it I mean, because it was, of that. It yeah. was fine. It was weird, but I don't know. I just I felt like it was a little bit too much in the Wes Anderson direction, not enough in the Roald Dahl direction. So I would say that that was an eccentric review from eccentric Tom about the eccentric Wes Anderson and the mixing of eccentric Roald Dahl in an eccentric movie with an eccentric adaptation, which right? leaned too much. All right, eccentric. all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so before we touch well, upon <laughs> Isle of Dogs, maybe we can talk about our favorite Wes Anderson films for a bit. You do that? Uh, I mean, just a little bit. Just I a little mean, bit. Just set the context. This is a very deep rabbit hole we're looking down the edge of right now. Okay. We can just skip a little bit like what makes his films unique symmetrical I mean, I mean what <laughs> an Owen brother yeah one of them what made oh, Bill uh, Murray Bill Murray and Bill Murray and Ed Norton in the last five of them yeah and like really weird pans from and people running right. away suddenly too yeah I mean not not for I Love Dogs and what, hipster music what I, what this what uh, <laughs> I feel like definitely makes it feel like a Wisconsin movie is that it feels like you're watching a theatre in the frame because he uses like you know, stage right, stage left. Yeah, it actually definitely. feels like he's making the full use of the frame while he's making the film. I agree, yeah. I mean, that's that's his uh, maison. His style. It's yeah. like you're watching a kid play with, uh, you know, one of those uh, shutter puppet theatres. I in agree. A way. And also uh, characters which are distilled into one particular kind of emotion. Like, the most, like, the biggest example of that is the Royal Tenenbaums. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah, where you have Gwyneth Paltrow, who is just teen angst, where you have Ben I'd Stiller. Say she's more melancholy. Teen angst is Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller yeah. is the anger. Oh, more Ben Stiller is daddy issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Paltrow is uh, melancholy. The other kid, which was one of the Wilsons, 
Luke or Owen? One I of think them. it was... Was it, was it both of them inside? Both of them are in it. Yeah, yeah both of them are I, I, I don't think they played... I think it was Luke who was the son and Owen was like a family friend or something. Yeah, okay, so... yeah, But Luke is definitely depression. Yeah. Because I think that's just Luke Wilson in real life. Hey. <laughs> no. I've never seen that man he's smile. Not the old, he's not the Wilson brother who tried to kill himself over a girl. <laughs> ah. Is it too soon? Can I bring that up now? Uh, probably too soon. Probably. <laughs> too soon? <laughs> she doesn't have a career anymore. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Daughter of Goldie Hawn. I'm not going to say it anymore. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, my favorite Wes Anderson movie, right, it's its own genre, so that's why I say favorite Wes Anderson movie, is definitely Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that is the refining of what makes Wes Anderson the most Wes Anderson to a point where it is just sharply drawn and also probably the funniest yeah, I've seen like the whole chase scene between uh, William Dafoe and Ralph Fiennes oh. is just <laughs> oh yeah that was fun just yeah. so good I think like for me my and the ski scenes where just like you know yes, how it's like ski scenes too when he oh zooms out and it's like watching like puppets just like play around mm-hmm. I think my favourite uh, moment from Grand Budapest Hotel is basically when he tells the, the young bellhop why do you want to work here it's an institution Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I, I immediately fell in love with that movie from that moment like, on. You slept with my mother. I slept with all my friends, darling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, wait, Tilda Swinton. Oh, yeah. Tilda Swinton. Uh, in, like, the best old lady makeup I've ever seen. Why? <laughs> because she's meant to be an old lady. Why don't you hire an old lady? Because Tilda Swinton. <laughs> and because I guess Maggie Smith is still recovering from chemo. Ooh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wow. She had breast Dig cancer. Dig up the bones of Angela Lansbury, why don't you? <laughs> no, she's still alive. <laughs> Lansbury's still alive. She was old enough. No, she's alive enough. Well, anyway, more about shit. the Grand Budapest. <laughs> yeah, anyway. She's all at the shit in her bed. Yes, I heard that. <laughs> and she on the Me Too movement. <laughs> I agree. Anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's just, it was great also to see Adrian Brody be a villain. That was quite entertaining. No, the thing is, right... I love uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, Grand Budapest. The Grand, Grand Budapest. The Grand Budapest Hotel, basically because that is some of the best. Adrian Brody should have gotten an Oscar for that instead of the pianist. I would say that. Yeah, because then also <laughs> we wouldn't give any credit to Roman Polanski. Why? Roman Polanski is an amazing filmmaker. And Knife in the Water is a great movie. And a kid fucker. Yeah, and his wife was murdered by Charles Manson. How else would you recover? Not by fingering a 13-year-old? How would you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not experiment with this, please. <laughs> Leave my wife alone. <laughs> Who's talking about your wife, sir? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, um, besides... I guess my favourite is still... Um, it's a toss-up between Rushmore <laughs> and Life Aquatic with Steve So. Wait, you like Rushmore too? Yeah, uh, it was actually my first <laughs> Wes Anderson film before I even knew okay. the guy. Why life <laughs> before you knew the guy? <laughs> before so I knew him. Before I get chance to meet the great Wes Anderson, I watched this tiny little movie. <laughs> before you meet Wes Anderson, please watch this DVD. <laughs> it's like well done, sir. Because if not, you'll have no idea what's going on. Mm. You have this weird, like ethereal creature just like stumbling, like hello. You know what? Everything that reminds me of is this the story of how J.J. Abrams met Tom Cruise. <laughs> Where basically, I think an assistant of J.J. Abrams gave Tom Cruise like the entire box set for Alias. And then basically, before they even had dinner or anything, right? Like he, he, he called up J.J. Uh, and says like, Oh, I watched all of it. What? You watched the entire season of Alias? Yeah, I love it. It's great. <laughs> Let's have dinner. They have dinner. You're doing this. I'm doing what? You're directing my movie. What movie? Mission Impossible 3. 
Okay. <laughs> it's like, and JJ Abrams is just like, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay right. And sure. I, I love his like, and then like, this was him having like a conversation with like, uh, I think Kevin Smith and probably Jason Lee. And they were all like, yeah, that's how Tom Cruise works. <laughs> that's literally how he's, what he's like. I mean, but go on. So what did Wes Edison promise you? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I shall make you symmetrical. <laughs> <laughs> you shall be balanced, young toffee. Perfectly balanced. Having Bill Murray riding his cycle sideways. Sure. Bill Murray put, put that job somewhere in a, a movie. A somehow. cycle. What? Cycling. Sideways. Are you riding Bill Murray's bicycle? How did that happen? <laughs> no. No, he's Bill Murray's bicycle. <laughs> oh, no, ew. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just something really unique, again, about uh, the life aquatic. <laughs> music choices, the whole father-son Did you get bullshit. to play the yellow submarines? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Yes. How do you say that? <laughs> because you're thick and yellow and full of semen. Get it? <laughs> Bill Murray's semen. Yes, yeah, Bill Murray's semen. One of them plays guitar. <laughs> One of them is Angelica Houston. <laughs> I'm so, let's not get derailed. I think Don Cheadle's one of them too. You have a war machine inside you. And <laughs> <laughs> now he vibrates for your pleasure. <laughs> oh god, I've got derailed. What, what are we talking about again? Life Aquatic. Yes. <laughs> the Underwater Adventures of Mr. Toffee. <laughs> How do you stay sticky underwater, sir? <laughs> Stop it. I can't. Uh, Kate Blanchard made it so. <laughs> and then we're back. <laughs> All right. So, um, and your favorite is Rushmore, as you uh, mentioned. I've, yeah, I've mentioned, no, I'm not, I don't think on the podcast. No, you have not mentioned. Uh, no, I have not mentioned that. I'm actually a... But you mentioned in passing, like, just before. Um, well, I love Rushmore and I love Moonrise Kingdom especially. I mean, to me, those two are his strongest films. As much as people will tell me that actually... Like, like Royal Tenenbaums and I don't know what's the other one Darjeeling Limited is another one that people tend to bring up nah not Darjeeling no? Limited I can't really call it right now. oh I'm sorry uh, doesn't matter no, Ball uh, Rocket uh, Ball Rocket sorry Ball yeah. Rocket the His very original first one film, he did. Yeah. which has none of what makes Wes Anderson movies Wes Anderson movies because that's just like you know it's like a pure indie film but it did give us the, the look at Owen Wilson like oh they, they're superstars now yeah, I mean, that explains why we have at least one of them in every movie. I think Luke Wilson's in Isle of Dogs. Is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the segue to actually start talking about this movie. Okay. So, the setup of the movie is it's set 20 years into the future. So, like, in the 2030s, I guess. In Uni Prefecture, Megasaki. Mega? Uh, it's a made-up city in oh, okay, uh, Japan. Okay, okay. So, it's an alternate timeline. Alternate timeline, yeah. Mm. And uh, I... It sets up this premise that uh, dogs are being expelled from Megasaki because they are ill. Like, all of them have some kind of sickness. They mm-hmm. have, like, the snout flu, ticks, fleas. Snout fever snout and fever. Uh, fleas and all that. And so the mayor, uh, Mayor Kobayashi, because of fucking course, yeah. uh, issues a executive uh, proclamation that all dogs are expelled to Trash Island, which is just off uh, the coast of Megasaki. Is there anyone near Cat Island or Bunny Island? Because this is Japan we're talking about. No, there isn't such an island. No, this is West Anderson, Japan. So it's very different. And then, you know, all the dogs get sent there. As a sign of public faith, Kobayashi sent his dog spot first. But why use the name Kobayashi? Because Kobayashi is like Kobayashi Maru. (laughs) Now I'm thinking of another movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Mayor Kobayashi. Mm. And then, so that's just the setup. And then the film starts properly when we introduce two five dogs. Okay. Called Chief... 
Rex, Duke, King, and Boss. Okay. And the joke is that none of them are a leader, so they always have to vote on doing anything. Because they're all called some version of uh, leader. All right. And, and Chief is the only one that's astray. Everyone else is like all owned. Of them, like one or domesticated. Domesticated, yeah. yes. One was uh, the mascot of uh, their most successful high school baseball team. One was uh, the mascot for a famous uh, doggy uh, food. Another one was just a, a famous house pet. Okay, so like they led very, you know, I would say, well-to-do lives. I would say. Yeah, and like the four, like four of them are voiced by your standard Bill Murray, Luke Wilson, uh, Jeff Goldblum, and... Jeff Goldblum plays a dog? Yes, yeah. he plays a dog in this. Ah, 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 woof. <laughs> and the chief is played by Thankfully Brian Cranston. Thankfully, none Hanston. of that. Huh? Chief is played by Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston is the chief. Mm-hmm. You goddamn woof. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> rough, uh, rough voice and all. <laughs> and the film starts when we have this little kid flies a plane and crashes onto the island because he's looking for his dog, Spots. Okay. And then what follows is a very Wes Anderson style uh, adventure to try and find this new dog. Mm-hmm. And then you have all kinds of misadventures along the way. You meet colorful creatures, you colorful creatures, colorful individuals. Dogs. And then there's unrest in Mega, what's the town again? Megasaki. Megasaki. And then there's like a wider thing which is discovered, a big plot that has to be uh, unraveled. And there's a lot of like side characters which was all very interesting, but I'm not going into because but it doesn't get too cumbersome. It doesn't like overweigh yeah. the film. Right? No, no, no. Yeah, it we're trying not to swallow this film. It all fits perfectly well. Okay. Yeah. It's like everything makes perfect sense, and there's a good balance between watching the kid and the dogs interact, and then the characters back in. But is it like Nagasaki. the It's the traditional stop motion style that he used in Fantastic yep, Mr. Fox. Yeah, in Fantastic right? Mr. Yeah. Fox. Uh, mm. But right. this one is a very particular style. It actually feels like he's channeling Kabuki theater. Okay. In how he. Uh, yeah, that, that would make sense because he wants to keep it th- thematic. Yeah, and he uses a lot of you know, Japanese drums, a lot of like, you know traditional Japanese uh, like sounds. The intro itself was uh, it's a like bunch of people th- playing th- drums. The right? three kids playing uh, that like the trio of drums. Okay, yeah, I see. Uh, I don't know what they're called, so I don't want to you know stumble. Taiko, if I recall, maybe Taiko drums. Yeah, but then also splits in is the standard you know indie pop shit that uh, Wes Anderson likes to use in all of his Because movies. like, if you're going to do something that's very Japanese-centric, you've got to touch on the more obscure Japanese stuff, I guess. And then the Japanese indie pop music scene is very vibrant. But no, this is definitely American singing. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Oh, for sure. Oh, okay, so... During the adventure scenes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, I mean, that's just the base premise. Um, and one interesting part about this movie is that all of the humans, apart from a couple, only speak Japanese. And not even uh, sub- subtitles, apart from very particular moments, they're just speaking in Japanese. Okay. All the dogs speak English. Okay. So That's you have even stated at the start of the film yeah. as well. So you have these moments where the boy called Atari, Atari Kobayashi. Yep. Seriously? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a, it's a Wes Anderson movie. Just you know. Let's roll with it. Because yeah. he couldn't afford Nintendo Kobayashi. <laughs> I guess so. Or Sega Kobayashi. So Sega. So when the kid first crashes, he starts spouting off in uh, Japanese. And then the dog's like, uh, do you know what he's saying? And then he just takes out a picture and his dog called Spots. Spots! Okay. Like, oh, you're looking for your dog. Oh, I think I know where he is. And then they show him a skeleton. Oh. Yeah. Is that a spoiler? No, no, this is like no, but this 20, is, this is very early. This ish. is very early in the movie. Then it turns out, obviously, that's not the dog. Spots is dead? No, that was a dog called Spots. Like, oh. The actual Spots is somewhere else. Hi. <laughs> and um, I did just little elements like that. Is it? It's standard West Anderson humor. Okay. So, for example, there's this little pug called Oracle, 
who uh, played is it, by Tilda Swinton, by the way. Tilda, that's who it was. Yes. And her stick is that apparently she can see the future. No, it's just that she watches TV and she understands what's going on. Mm. She's the only dog on the island who can understand yeah. TV shows. So they say stuff like Oracle has a vision. It just shows her watching a TV and just seeing what's going on in the news. Okay. I mean, wait, they should watch like... So like when they first Japanese meet... Japanese news or... Yeah, pretty yeah. much Japanese news and okay. Japanese cooking shows so, like, and whatnot. You know, when uh, they first meet, she says, it might snow tonight for those who are affected. Like, <gasps> she sees the future and then you just see uh, there's just a weather forecast happening in the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well done, Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Mm. And it's just elements like that, that, that kind of particular black brand of Wes Anderson humor, like okay. the kind of deadpan delivery, which just works really well. I mean, like, even, uh, I mean, harping on the humor a little bit, like, did it really hit the marks? Oh, for sure. It did. It did. I, there a were lot no of marks. jokes yeah. which fell flat. Mm. But I mean, was it intentionally meant to be a comedy? Because the thing about Wes Anderson movies, like, they're funny moments, but I don't think he intends for them to be I mean, funny. And you don't know whether you want to laugh or no, yeah. be a bit awkward about it. This is not a comedy movie, but it's just like how the... It's humorous. It's like yeah. Marvel movies have plenty of funny, humorous moments, mm. but they're not comedies. Apart it's, from Ragnarok, which a, was definitely a comedy. It's a cartoon adventure a story, which happens to have a few humorous elements into I mean, it. I mean, a lot of humorous moments, but also very bleak, dark moments. Yeah. Like, it starts going down a very dark road near the end of the movie. I was like, ooh. And it feels like a bit sensitive because it's set in Japan. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely tell that Wes Anderson is alluding to certain moments of Japanese history, which no one wants which to talk like about. Which is the Fukushima incident? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, not, not even Fukushima. I'm going back to how World they treated... Yeah, how to treat the mm. Koreans in the Second World War. Mm, because the thing is, right, uh, one thing, I mean, I haven't seen this film myself and yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. So please, guys, don't spoil this for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no also worries. at the same time, well, one thing that uh, another reviewer that I follow brought up is the fact that this is Wes Anderson playing tribute to Miyazaki. Oh, for sure. In a sense where it's like, you know, this feels like watching Gravy or the Fireflies. I, not, as, not as bleak. It's not as bleak, <laughs> not but the thing bleak. is, it's, it's, it's a journey of a young Japanese boy going through this magical kind of whimsical world, and then all of a sudden the harshness and reality starts and, setting in. And then, like, you know, like it, the world turns more nightmarish towards would, the end, but not, not completely. But not completely. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that. But yeah, still within the West Anderson like, yeah, vernacular. I mean, if yeah. you're going to compare it to a Miyazaki movie, I wouldn't choose Graveyard of the Fireflies. I mean, I'm just guessing. I would yeah. say more Spirited Away. Ah, okay. Like, because it has dark moments. Yeah, and it, but it, there's okay. moments of whimsy. And yeah. this is the thing. And unlike, uh, for example, Grand Budapest or Royal Tenenbaums, which ends on a real fucking bummer, mm -hmm. there's a nice uplifting end to this. And I don't know whether it was Wes Anderson's decision or whether... I mean, he wrote this one himself also, right? I believe he wrote it. I don't but, I but it was directed. adapted. Yeah. No, but no, no, no adaptation. No, he no. wrote it, but also there were other people writing. Okay, I see. It, it was him and three others who wrote this. All right. Which is a lot of people to write. And because normally he usually collaborates with the Wilson brothers because like they are very, you know, uh, akin to his voice. Yeah, I don't think I saw their names in writing. I think they were producers this time around. Okay. Um, but again, um, they... Because... This is one slightly annoying thing. Mm. All of the credits were done in Japanese and English. Yeah, okay. But because of that, they just flashed by so quickly. And uh. my seats were slightly too close, so I couldn't focus on uh, the words. You had to like go up. up and down, look up and down. Yeah. Mm. But then again, like credits is something you should... Unless it's a Marvel movie, you don't really have to sit through them. Yeah. Well, of course, I mean, I didn't sit through them entirely, but um, I was just a, a minor gripe. Like, that's a super picky nitpick which I'm very much aware of yes we're not going to base the review of this movie just on the closing <laughs> credits <laughs> no. sorry oh, what, Tom what do you think about the narration from Courtney B. Vance I from beginning to end I think it was nice 
I don't think Wes Anderson's really done, like, leaned that hard into uh, narration before. Obviously, he's done it before. Okay, yeah. Like, this is a much stronger compared It's to. It's better than Budapest, and that's hard for me to say because I really love Grand Budapest. But I feel like it fit because it is, like I said before, it's done in the style of a kubuki theater, which has a narrator going over what's happening on screen when you have... And then your acts being announced yeah. too, right? I mean, for Western... Uh, for like more Western uh, people listening, it's kind of like Greek theater, I would say, okay. as well, which was very much like you had one person in a corner narrating what's going on whilst you have the actors acting out almost, not silently, but their voice is a bit muted sometimes compared to a voiceover telling you the main thing of what's going on. Okay. But I mean, I think... If and you it plays cleverly with other things, like their flashbacks, but the things it would do would be like, start a flashback, end the flashback, and then back to the present. So it's a very non-linear storytelling. It Kinda, just comes in. But it announces it. So it's yeah. got like prologue, act one, act two, So you chapter three, everything? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So like a Tarantino movie where... Kinda. It, they show you segments, but not in the sequence that you expect them in. No, no, no. It's got definitely a linear progression, but they're two big flashback moments. Before okay. they head to the big reveal, they show the flashback for context first. Oh, okay. Then it continues. Then, okay, yeah. I see what I mean. All right, all right. Yeah. So, I mean, but overall, how's the animation? How's the dog design? Oh, it's... Good. Very, very good. Well I mean, done. it's definitely heavily stylized. So yeah. this is no Pixar. Yeah, okay. For this sure. is arts and crafts, um, stop motion mashup. Yeah, it's, it's very kind of, I, I know, it's very endearing, the style. Okay. Like, you know, they definitely don't look real. Like uh, It's basically somebody's Etsy page come to life, right? Yeah. In a way, <laughs> actually. Because all yeah. these humans have very doll-like faces and it looks like they're, their mouths move a little bit like robot chicken. Okay. And, and the, the dogs like, don't look cute. They're detailed. I mean, obviously, when you live in a trash island for so long, your dogs are gonna look like yeah. that. But they look they look worse. fluffy, but uh, not unrealistically fluffy. They look like stuffed animal fluffy. Okay. Like uh, you know those uh, Labrador dogs from IKEA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> my favorite too. Wait, are they Labradors or are they Golden Retrievers? Uh, whatever. They're just cute. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, go to IKEA, get yourself a nice big dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're they're perfect to snuggle at night. But they're not good pillows. Uh, they they good, can't support your head. They're good bolsters. Yeah. What are we talking about? Shout again? out to IKEA for uh, having really cute stuff. This animals. episode is brought to you by Swedish modulated furniture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And missing parts. Yeah, I mean, I can't really go into detail about what makes this film so endearing and fun to watch without spoiling it. Okay. But it's just like, everything just comes together to just make a very fun, it's a Wes Anderson movie. You but expect these tropes, but you still accept it because yeah. it's just so and charmingly it's done. Because, yeah. because it's stop motion animation, it yep. feels like it, it's more at home this mm. time. Okay, but okay, let me just ask you guys again. Like, I mean, if I'm expecting Wes Anderson charm, aesthetics, I mean, the usual play on symmetry, the usual play on uh, character stereotypes and how you know one character defines a certain emotion or a certain ideal and how they all have to work together as like a... Like a, like a multi-level character. Yeah. I mean, like the boy is basically just like some sort of vessel for these dogs, right? Kinda. So because we just follow we him on his journey. It's but an overarching story that entails the island and also Megasaki. <laughs> entails. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole point is, yeah, the kid uh, Atari is one of those side. Why do you go and name the kid Atari? That's so awkward. You know, like, yeah. It does. It does sound weird. Yeah, because. The only humans who we understand are two translators, and then mm. the foreign exchange student from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, a, a student named Walker, played by Greta Gerwin. Gerwin. Greta Gerwig. The one Gerwig, sorry. Yeah, Lady Bird herself. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, like she's kind of like the student activist fighting for dogs' rights and trying to, you know... She just happens to be herself and she walked in on the set. Kind of. Kind of. And her avatar is this gangly white girl with this huge blonde afro. What? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, never, I've not seen her in real life in a while. So I don't know what her look is now. Yeah, but she's the only one... I, that we can actually kind of follow like everyone else is um, we also got the scientists and one yeah. of them's played by Yoko Ono yeah Yoko Ono is uh, the uh, science um, assistant named Yoko Ono as well yeah mm-hmm. so I mean like if you're a fan of the Wes Andersons this is definitely not going to disappoint I mean definitely where does this scale not. on the Wes Anderson scale of like one to Bill Murray <laughs> <laughs> this the- is Luke w- Wilson on that scale Luke Wilson <laughs> Alright. Well, look, Wilson, when the he's one trying. With the not when so he, malformed nose. Yeah. When, when, when he's trying. When Leaning he's slightly trying. towards Ed Norton. Leaning slightly towards Ed Norton. Alright, there you go. I would say this, right? Uh, for a Wes Anderson movie, I mean, there is a certain expectation you have when you walk into the Absolutely, cinema. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And there's also a certain um, aesthetic that you're looking forward to. And, like, I think another important question I want to ask you guys is, like, has. Uh, is this him playing himself out a little bit? Because the thing is, it's been five movies since Grand Budapest. And it doesn't seem like he's going to talk five himself. Five years, you mean? I'm sorry, five years. Like five movies, god damn, he's been prolific. He is First actually quite prolific life. if you think yeah. about it. You yeah. know? I mean, he's been like putting this out since the 90s. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think between Grand Budapest and this was like some Chanel commercial or something, if I recall. Wait, uh, he did with, a Chanel commercial? Jason sorry. Schwartzman. Oh, I, I could be yeah. wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's all I remember because the thing is that I'm the kind of guy who's kind of thirsty for more Wes Anderson. I yeah. kind of want to look for this commercial now. Come and think of it. I'm pretty sure it's available somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but if anything, you know what? Yeah, there'll definitely be a link somewhere. Uh, but I want to say this, right? The thing is, it's been five years since Grand Budapest. And Grand Budapest yeah. to me was like, it's an exceptional film. Okay, and it's been like probably two or three years since uh, Moonrise, right? Yeah, Moonrise Kingdom was the one before and that was like two years before. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, we, I, to me, it feels like he's kind of spacing himself out. And it kind of makes sense that for something as tedious and as, you know, time-consuming as like animation, especially this style of animation, right? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense that this will take five years even though we live in an age of computers, but then we understand hipster West and understand as the kind of guy who's like, no, we gotta do it the, the old-fashioned old way. The old hipster way as he pushes up his, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, Ignore, the dog ignoring the financial report from Cuba and two strings. But then again, he... Oh. Deep cuts there. Deep mm-hmm. cuts with the two strings. Anyway, <laughs> I will say this also, but uh, Wes Anderson is the kind of guy who is one of the few auteurs left. And then he yeah. has a vision, he has a style, and he's probably one of the few guys who can definitely do the multiple takes things. You know what I mean? Mm. Because I'm pretty sure, like... Uh, like Infinity War probably had three takes t- tops <laughs> yeah because it, that, that movie is expensive and you don't have time to fuck around yeah we mm-hmm. don't even know what the actual budget is like SMS go from 300 to 600 million dollars well it's less than a billion so they're fine yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. like, like the first weekend was like what a lot yeah, so like <laughs> a, a lot, lot. Yeah. was a lot understanding it box office take <laughs> Fuck loads. Yeah, Box office take. Yeah, everybody's getting Ferraris. <laughs> but I want to ask you guys Box this. Box office take. 1.3 Scrooge McDucks. McDucks, right. Ooh, Disney dollars, eh? Yeah. So I would say this, right. Um, what are the financials on this? I mean, like, did this movie cost a lot? Because the thing is, right, Wes Anderson is the kind of guy with enough clout to get, hey, uh, Wilson Brothers, uh, Bill Murray, work for me for scale? Sure. Because, you know, this is a chance for them to do something artistic. I think that... I, I haven't seen the financials, but I don't feel like it was super expensive because... Probably I, a little more than Fantastic because, Mr. Fox, maybe. Mm. Yeah, because the characters emote mainly through the voice and like their stares. Okay. But uh, there's not like, you know, super elaborate events happening. It feels like anything in the distance is kind of just like paper cutouts happening. 
Okay. Even your fights itself, they're all done with like. Oh, there are fights? Yeah, there are yeah, fights. Yeah. There's some dog with cotton balls. Oh, no, it, no, it's great. Like the white basically, it's clouds. like you know those cartoons where you just have like a big cloud where just like fists like popping out <laughs> here and there? Like your peanuts fight. Okay, yeah, I see. Yeah, it. yeah right. So, and that happens throughout. And then when you see stuff on TV, it becomes like, um, you know, the cartoons from Fallout 4? Oh, okay. Yeah, kind of, kind of like that style uh, when it's being shown on TV. I love how you brought up a Fallout 4 reference as we're talking about <laughs> Wes Anderson movie. And I'm pretty sure we don't have the that pie chart demographic of nerd who understands both those references at the but same still, time. Schnapps. So, schnapps. Schnapps. There, there you go. go. <laughs> low cost All the schnapps. Low cost 2D animation. Okay, okay. There we go. Right. Uh, I will say this also. like, uh, I mean, for a Wes Anderson movie, it's, it's nice to know he's still got work. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, it's even nice to know that he still gets funding for these kind of things. Because I, when you think of Wes Anderson, you don't think of blockbuster Wes Anderson. No, I mean, I think Budapest was his most financially successful movie. And won him some Oscars, didn't it? I think he got him nominated. I he didn't think, win anything. I think right? he won two, but he was Ray the Fiennes got anything? Ray Fiennes got, should have gone something. He right? lost out that year to someone else. I don't know who won, but... I think um, to me also a travesty. Oh, but then again, I can't re- remember who I think, won that year. I think Brody got best supporting. Brody? Maybe. Well, I would have given it to Willem Dafoe, yo. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, but he has no lines. Exactly. <laughs> and he was terrifying. With the best acting through the death best uh, enemy death I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. yes. Just kicked in the back. Like, <laughs> Not even a Wilhelm scream, right? I mean, I also have given it to like Jeff Goldblum after losing his fingers. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, let's not talk too much about the Grand Budapest Hotel. An exceptional film. Okay? Yeah, I good mean, film. Good film. This is not a perfect movie. Let me just say this right now. None of his uh, movies are perfect. So, actually, what are your issues with? Um, yeah, Isle of Dogs. Not enough dogs. Mm, Do you uh, actually see an island full of dogs? I mean, it's slightly grating in a movie by an American director set in Japan mm-hmm. that the only human character who does get anything done is this white woman. Instead of Brian Cranston. Well, no, no Brian like, Cranston got stuff well, done. Well, Brian's, Just Brian's like the Godzilla movie. Well, the dog's, the dog's <laughs> okay, got... Much, <laughs> no, that's a stretch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a stretch. The dog's got shit done the because they're dogs. Because they're dogs. Yeah, but it's just like... It's just I felt a bit like, you know... Um, he just stepped down going all in to try and appeal more to American audiences and I, I feel like that You felt that? Uh, it's either that or he was trying to make some kind of commentary but I feel it's more the former. I don't think so because the thing is Wes Anderson is not the kind of guy to have any sort of commentary but also at the same time he does I feel like this is the movie where he's, he's trying, trying to it. say something okay. the most. So like, like well, f- that's something I need to look forward to then all mm-hmm. of a sudden. Yeah I mean like maybe it's just me reading stuff into it but you know if it's something I can read into it, then mm. it shows that the very least the elements of it. It's just, I don't know. Also, Greta Gerwig's performance was fine. <laughs> I mean, you're it's not, not going to forgive not, her after Lady Bird, are no, you? But also, <laughs> it's, not, it's not groundbreaking, like but the, she serves her purpose like well. There's a line where she says, I think I have a crush on you when she's talking to Atari's picture. <laughs> and it's just like, that is the most annoying Wes Anderson-ism. Which is the older guy. Oh, no, the, the older, older lady the and the younger The older young lady guy. just suddenly falling in love with this kid. Which never happens before. It, it felt like something he would do. Just kind of like spontaneous, like falling in love with or something. Or it could be like basically him like, oh, you're all pointing out the fact that it's always a young guy with an older lady in my movies. Well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep doing that trope. I'm Wes Anderson. <laughs> I invented it since Rushmore. I'm Wes Anderson. Here's the one thing I have, my, my biggest gripe about Wes Anderson. Fucking grease the wheels on your dolly. Every time you do a pan shot and I see the camera like shake, right? It's like, 
fucking annoying. We live in a time where you have stabilizers. God damn it, sir. You don't have to be too hipster. Well, this time, <laughs> the camera pans aren't shaky. Because it's animation. Yeah. yeah. No, but like when you see like a Wes Anderson movie, whenever you see a camera move, yeah. and you, you can tell it's on wheels. <laughs> it's like, dude, get, get a guy with a steady cam or something. Yeah. <laughs> And we still got the Wes Anderson top Wes Anderson top shots as well. The top shots? Yeah, the top shots. The all, top all, shots? Air, all the top shots. Really? As opposed to his topless shots? <laughs> oh, Sir, where are you going with this? <laughs> what do you mean top shots? <laughs> overhead uh, shots. Overhead, sorry, overhead <laughs> shots. Why am I using his <laughs> words? I'm thinking very hard. What is a top shot? In? What is overheads, top? overheads. For the overheads? Okay. Sorry. Or for you film school guys, the God view shot. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. also he has a dog spike the lens a lot. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like every now and then Crescent just like stares at the screen and then like goes back to talking. Everybody stares at the screen and wears in the cinema. But it's like he's he's looking profile, then turns to look at the screen and turns back again. For oh, okay. no apparent reason. Oh, because uh well well there's there's a there's a visual cue for that too. But like until I see it then maybe. Yeah. So I think just overall, very good movie. Uh I would say seven point five really? for me. Yeah. Okay. Not better than Infinity War. <laughs> no. <laughs> Infinity War made me empty inside in a good way. This was a lot of fun, very endearing, but I mean, not quite edging out that, um, you know, cinematic fuckfest, which was uh, Infinity yeah, War. Yeah. All right. It's Every- not groundbreaking at the least, but I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Probably want to watch it a second time again so, maybe next week guys, or the week after. Among his best or probably... Definitely definitely below Rushmore, that's for sure. Uh, and below me, Life Aquatic. For me, my second favorite was Anderson movie. After Grand Budapest. After the Grand Budapest. Mm, okay. I guess my fourth because okay. uh, Grand Budapest is so pretty high up. So what's your I don't know what to talk. Uh, I'm gonna go with. It an has eight. to be an even number. Remember, it's symmetrical. Okay, eight, eight, eight. Yeah, yeah. Well, better than maybe. Maybe I gotta watch. Right. <laughs> I gave Infinity War like nine point five nine or something. You gave it like nine point five. Higher than that, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Look at me trying to gaslight Mr. Toffee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But but but, 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 I, but I, I did really enjoy it a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I'll definitely go be checking out Isle of Dogs uh, in theaters right now if you're in the Singapore yep. area. Yep, yep. Uh, or in a boutique cinema if you're a hipster somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that too, that too. I mean, if you really want the full West Anderson experience, you have to go down to our local art theatre. The Is projector, it, right? Yeah, yeah, they're showing you at the projector here in Singapore. Yeah, shout so out to the projector who have fantastic beers on tap, which are far too expensive. But the crappiest seats, sir. They're so awful. The old school <laughs> seats, right? Yeah, the it's 2018. We're, I'm so used to the fucking box seat in the cinema now. And then you have to put sit your on head back. It's on fucking bean like bags the 89 on, seats on wooden back in seats. Here's the bullshit about the bean bag section. Yeah. Because it's such a, a, a steep and a very narrow like walkway. It's like for a tall guy, for tall guys like us, yeah. you have to dangle your legs over. And there's always an asshole in front of you. Yeah. So you have no, no choice but to put your neck on the step and it's like. Uh, Speaking of assholes. Speaking of assholes. When I was watching. Isla Dogs. Okay. There was this Somebody couple brought a dog. <laughs> there was this couple next to me. Doing doggy style. I wish. That would have been less uh, In the asshole. That would have been less <laughs> Some asshole was fucking this girl's asshole. It was <laughs> it was some one per episode for me. Thank <laughs> you very much. I'm sorry. I can stop tip, now. Tip, tip your waiters. Some, <laughs> some uh, white dude and some Singaporean woman and she would not shut the fuck up throughout the fucking movie. Oh, man. She could... I feel for you, man. She could understand Japanese. So when the kids would say something, she'd turn very like, he's saying la, 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 la. And then in the final part of the movie, she had a snarky fucking commentary about what's going on. Like, huh, wouldn't you have to do that? Huh, wouldn't you have to do that? It's like, I wanted to grab her face and just slam it into the seat in front of her. I mean, here's the problem I have with the projector in general. Yeah. Great cinema, great choice of movies, worst audience. 
Oh yeah, because how bad were the audience? Yeah, I mean, like, I watched the last no, film. Things, I saw this in Golden Village, in like the plebby part. Oh, you saw it in Golden Village. No, the thing yeah. is, like, I saw Moonlight at uh, the projector, and everybody giggled during the gay scenes. Oh uh, fuck you! And I was like, are you guys so childish that this is funny to you? <laughs> like, you if you're mean? not masturbating are you guys to the cinematography, 14? obviously, then you're doing <laughs> it wrong. Hey. I mean, like, for me, all I see is, like, glorious Wong Kar Wai worship. But then it's like, people find that, like, oh, they're black kids are touching each other. It's so funny. And it's like, come you know on. I mean? I mean, that's the thing. That's the, the worst kind of audience watching out of dogs because you don't need to understand Japanese to watch this film at all. I mean, it it's works not just on its that. Own, yeah. I mean, the thing is, right. I mean, here's, here's the, one of the, the, the biggest problems I have about going to the cinema now. Unless it's a superhero movie, nobody shuts the fuck up. Yeah. You know, Actually, people well, were deathly quiet when I was watching uh, Infinity War, except for the funny people scenes, were like, deathly quiet when I watched The Quiet Place. Like, <laughs> there was this Malay couple next to me who were like, you know, chatting in the beginning. After the child uh, bites it, utter silence. I mean, that's yeah, beautiful. I mean, that's beautiful. Thing. Yeah, I've never been to a, a horror movie where you know people were vocal. But it's like I will go to like certain comedies, certain movies, and like yeah, yeah you can hear the chatter. The first time I saw Infinity War, I couldn't hear half the lines because people were still laughing from the first joke. I mean, like they were not quite right. The the rabbit joke, right? Or was it before oh, that? Like for me, it was the rabbit sections because, like, whenever like uh, Thor was like bantering with raccoon, and like yeah. the audience was just giggling. Or like the worst was uh, when uh, Tony Stark says, "Get lost, Squidward." I heard nothing for the next five minutes. Mm. Like, he knows what Squidward is. Yeah, everyone knows who Squidward is. I don't watch SpongeBob, and I know who Squidward is. Squidward's from SpongeBob. Yeah. Okay. He's yeah. he's a squid. Uh, he's the one who plays the clarinet, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> sure. There you go. <laughs> I was alive when SpongeBob was popular. Is well, he y- still around? Yeah. I think they're still showing new episodes, right? It's the episodes? only way Nickelodeon makes money right now. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm. Nickelodeon. No, no more Avatar. Nickelodeon has shut the bed hard with their programming. I kind of outgrew Nickelodeon. So did I. I, <laughs> I was never old enough. I was like never had Nickelodeon when I was, you know, the right age to watch Wait. it. Why are we talking about Nickelodeon? I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk about how, I Kill how Giants. How did Wes Anderson get to Nickelodeon? I don't know. No, <laughs> I Kill Giants. Let's talk about I Kill Giants. Yes, okay. we should. We should. Okay, so here's the thing about I Kill Giants. And I'm gonna, I just need to point this out immediately. This movie is going to get crushed by its own marketing. Absolutely. Because it, it is not being... The movie is being promoted as something that it's not. <sighs> unfortunately. Yeah. Maybe just set some context before Here's we the start. context. Infinity War is going on right now. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, right, if you want to sell a movie called I Kill Giants... And on the poster is a young girl holding some amazing, fantastic weapon, squaring off against what could possibly be a giant in the distance. It's like, the movie's not about that at all. No. No. It's about fighting depression and uh, realizing that your parent is dying of cancer. It's yeah. Ooh, That's that, pretty much is that. that a spoiler? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's a spoiler. Yes, it's a spoiler. So it, this it's is a, fine because I read the comics. So, so like, this movie's <laughs> been like out Joe for Casey, so yes. two weeks, right? Hmm? Is this movie out two this weeks? It's already? out this week, actually. No, it's out this week. So, a few uh, days. Spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> Thanks, eccentric Tom. <laughs> the latest spoiler alert. Thanks for being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of assholes in the cinema. <laughs> what? The, the giant has cancer? <laughs> I'm trying to rescue this all of a sudden. Yeah. Yes, yes, we need to excise the cans from the giant. That's why this girl has a giant hammer. Yeah. Hammer slash axe. Slash okay, so let's talk about the premise of this movie. We're following this girl, girl called Barbara. Barbara, Barbara. Barbara. Barbara, I can't remember her last name. Call her Barbara Bunny Ears. Yeah, Barbara Bunny Ears. Because she actually wears bunny ears in yeah. the film, right? Which she says is because it helps her talk to a spirit animal. And she, I'll guess what, which animal that yeah, is. Yeah, and <laughs> basically she is. Probably a distillation of what I was as a kid for about a week. 
Young English and a girl. Just after I watched, <laughs> just after I watched Lord of the Rings and got okay, okay. die hard into that kind of lore. Oh, you think that to the point where okay, it becomes okay. real, right? In your head. Yeah. Okay. I I was that for a hot minute. No, but here's the thing. Like she's supposed to be what 12, 13, right? It's. They she's thirteen, never right? Very sure. I mean, in the graphic in the comics, novel, 13, yeah. she's supposed to be around that age, thirteen, yeah. early teen. Yeah. Because okay. she's in high school, which is in the states, I think, thirteen slash fourteen to eighteen. So, but that could be like junior or middle school or so. I mean, I'm not familiar with uh, the US school system, but yeah. uh, she looks about that. And but her English friend who pops mm-hmm. up later is definitely younger. Like the actress. Is I mean, we can't. Yeah. The girl name Sophia, right? That yeah. The, okay. the friend Sophia. Because yeah. the thing is, we can't fault the actresses because these these girls are definitely probably fourteen. Uh, 14. Uh, they're playing 13, 14, but they're definitely 16, 17, maybe yeah, they're 18. Defi- they're definitely Especially older. the bully girl. She's definitely like 18 or 19. She's in her early 20s for sure. You think so? She she has acting credits from 2003. She's oh. in her 20s. There you go. So the thing is, right, uh, I'm not going to fault like the age of the actresses, but I am going to say, um, despite the fact that, you know, this movie is kind of being mismarketed right now, amazing performances throughout because for like, sure. the... The, who's the actress playing uh, Barbara again? Madison Wolf. Madison, Madison Wolf. Wolf right. I loved everything she does and I loved the way that sincerity and that genuine sensitivity she has to describing her plight and also like whenever she goes into her systematic insanity where yeah. she's mm-hmm. explaining to you like oh we need to put the blood with the feathers to catch the dragon this is like giant oh they did that scene oh, they did all that and, it's oh, like, nice, nice. and the thing is like I looked at her and I, I remember like, uh, like thinking to myself oh my god this her autism is so genuine right now. Now let's let's not call it autism. It's ju- extreme escapism. Extreme escapism too. But the thing is, that is the theme. Yeah, she is Asperger's as fuck because she is the pinnacle of social awkwardness. And I, w- I would say because in the beginning you feel kind of sorry for her because she's obviously someone who has no friends. She spends the entire time alone, mm-hmm. and she's doing all this weird shit. But then she starts talking to people, and she becomes so unlikable. I like, think I, I got I liked her more actually. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, you kind of like it when she stands up to bullies, but everyone she talks to, she's haughty, derisive. She she acts like she's better I think than everyone. Yeah, probably yeah. when she starts uh, interacting with the social worker. Yeah, maybe. I mean that that was that was like the the pinnacle. But even like the way she starts talking to Sophia was kind of like a like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Like, get out of here. Like, obviously, it was is the self defense mechanism, but. That was the first part where I was going, mm, I'm not sure I like but this But I, I wouldn't have liked it if she became friendly all of a sudden. Because the thing is, right? Well, not friendly, but maybe just like shy, reserved rather than condescending. There was also a therapist well, in the mix too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Played by Gamora. Yeah, Gamora. Gamora. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> she was an absolute cunt to Gamora. Uh, okay, okay. Not because, yeah, comics. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm calling her Gamora because, you know, that's probably what... If I well, everyone's calling her nowadays. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we can call her Doctor Teacher if you want. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Doctor Teacher and Barbara Bunny years. Yeah, I mean, so personally, I could not stand her character for the first half an hour of the movie. Okay. But then, once you start learning more about her, once yeah. you sympathize with her, yeah, you start understanding why she pushes people away, why she's so in her own world. It's like you can tell that she's acting out in the worst possible way because of the worst news you could hear as a child has yes. happened to her. Yep. And the way she deals with it is by becoming just this ball of spikes. She's reacting like a porcupine or a hedgehog would mm-hmm. in moments of danger. I agree. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's uh, one way of uh, interacting with the world, especially when you come across such horrific things. Yeah. But, I mean, do her hallucinations actually come out to life for us to see? In yeah, yeah they so, do. So that's we, the thing. And the we thing see the Harbingers, we do see the Titan. And the problem is, they are the focus of the trailers. 
and people will immediately think like, especially when you slap from the producers of Harry Potter on oh, the, yeah. the title. Oh, that's bad. Marketing. All of a sudden, I'm I'm very sure when kids what, like after seeing something like Infinity War and they want a big dumb special effects movie with magic and giants and all sorts of things. Yeah, uh, idiot parents are gonna be taking them. You to know, this. but and the thing is, right, the screening we went to, oh, there were idiot parents there with their children, oh. and the children had no idea what was going on. Oh yeah, like there was a little kid babbling throughout quite a lot of the movie. Yeah, you know, she like like I remember like she freaked out a little bit when the Harbingers arrived. Yeah. Uh, Okay, but the okay, thing is, okay. like, when it, everybody was just, you know, doing the, the daily drama. Yeah. Like, Why is yeah. they talking so much? Like, because it's a serious movie, apparently. That's also another question I want to ask. I read the trade paperback, the graphic novel. It's all black and white. How are the colors in this film? Fine, muted. I mean, muted. because yeah, I this mean, is a fun bit of trivia. They shot quite a lot of shots in Belgium. Oh, if, okay. if actually it's got some funding from uh, the Flanders. And it's meant to board. be. What was he again? Uh, New Jersey. New Jersey, you're right. Yeah, it's a bit confusing because the girl is a fan of... Uh, the, Philly, the, the Phillies, right? Uh, yeah, the the Phillies, which is the baseball team. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Because the thing is, her weapon is named Kovefe or something. Kovalowski. Kovalowski. Who's Kovefe? Yeah. We'll get a Trump reference in here somewhere. I had to do it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Snaps. Snaps. Snaps for me too. Exactly. So, Yeah. So a lot of the forest scenes are from parts of Belgium, which I've been to. I could recognize immediately. It's okay. Like, oh, I recognize that kind of words. How accurate with the giants? Uh, <laughs> you know, for, for that part of Belgium, pretty accurate. <laughs> Especially the Belgian chocolate giant. Does <laughs> <laughs> it give out chocolates? And oh, I mean, this is just amazing. a weird thing I noticed. All the trains. Yeah. Those are Belgian trains. Belgian trains. Oh, like okay, those, okay. Um, those carriages. Like I remember taking those uh, okay. when I was living there. But unfortunately, for the untrained eye who is not from Belgium, they'd be like, all right, America. Sure. (laughs) You know, like how when you watch every movie ever, ever, and if you're not from Vancouver, you recognize that it's Vancouver. Yeah. (laughs) But okay, I mean, uh, let me that aside. Uh, Okay, character wise, I loved uh, Barbara. Uh, Sophie was kind of cute. Yeah, I mean, I I loved older sister. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's played by Imogen Poots. Imogen Imogen. Imogen or Imogen? Imogen. Here's the thing Poots family, she already has to survive her life. (laughs) As a poots. <laughs> and you decide to name this poor girl Imogen as well. I think that's why she's not had a takeoff uh, successful <laughs> career. No, but the thing is, I'll remember her forever. Because, what's your name again? Imogen. Imogen what? Imogen poots. Imogen. <laughs> Imogen. Yeah. Uh, like the band, Imogen Heap. Kind of, yeah. 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 There you go. I Imogen mean, is a name. I mean, she really sells uh, the eldest sibling trying their goddamn best you to know, keep, could have keep the family apart. Yeah. You know, could have been Together, worse right? yeah. if her name was Pepper. Pepper Poots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I had to do that. It was easy. It was easy. Sorry, sorry. Okay, it's out of my system now. But yes, you were saying because her interactions with Madison are so endearing. Yes. No, even the first time we see them together, where she says, "You know, I could play your dragons and something if you ask me to. Just ask me to." Because obviously Madison is deep into Dungeons and Dragons. Because mm-hmm. of course she has to be. Because Asperger's kids love Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just starting to become cool. Unfortunately. Uh, but the thing is, yeah. in the graphic novel, was she a D&D girl? Yeah, yeah. That was a D&D scene in the first issue. Because the thing is, uh, it would make sense for a D&D to keep it thematic because you need to... I mean, that's the to only... To play the fantasy role thing, right? Not just that. Because, like, yeah, you kill giants and, like, you know, supernatural giant mythical things. Yeah. Did she also D&D? kick out a kid in the D&D group in the first scene? No, there was did, no she D&D. She doesn't have oh. a D&D group. It's just that Ooh. she's just rolling the die. 
Ah, right, right. And then right. she rolls a d20 to fuck with her brother. Because basically, I mean, they were trying to establish, especially in the opening shot, was basically like, uh, not only is she ostracized outside at school or whatever, but she doesn't fit in in her own. Like house. yeah, even in her own house, like like her brother and her brother's friends all think she's weird. And the thing is, like, she is definitely clamoring for attention mm. because the thing is, she set up the D and D game in the middle of the dinner the dinner table. So at the same time, it's just like her trying to. She's like, trying to reach out. She's trying. She's to trying to lash out and be spiteful towards the, her family members oh. also. And then like basically, you see the struggle of her, the older sister. And then it's also a very clever way of how, if you've not read the graphic novel or if you have no idea what this movie is about, that they're trying to establish like you know the the what is called the deconstruction of her family. Yes. Yeah. Which I mean, okay, it was necessary for the setup. Yeah. And then immediately they take her to school, and then all of a sudden we see like okay, you know, the girls who kind of pick on her because what they call her psycho and whatever. Right? Yeah. Uh, there's an imp- there's an implication that she did something weird before the film starts, which kind I think of is basically it. what she does generally because she lays traps, she yeah. sets up bait, and then she does all, and then like she like will leave all these runes and marks yeah. all yep. over the school, and then like this gets the attention of a uh, doctor teacher played by Gamora so so yeah. Zeldana. Mm-hmm. and then like here we have you know a compassionate uh, counselor type like okay uh, you know Barbara, please explain yourself or like how am I able to like reach out and like communicate with you. And then, like, their scenes to me are probably, I won't say the weakest, but, like, this is just uh, moving the plot forward. It's scenes yeah. we've seen before. Yeah. Mm. You know, Whereas... And done better elsewhere, right? right? Her, the I won't even say done better elsewhere. I just say they're necessary. Yeah. You know, they're in not, order to establish They're not better things. or worse because Saldana does a very good job of being, you know, a compassionate uh, therapist who's there to just try and understand. She's not trying to, you know, cure her. She just wants to be... The friends to obviously friendless kids. So just offering an ear, basically. Yeah, I mean, and it's, I mean, I get it, I see it, and I, I mean, sure, it doesn't really add to the overall story because the thing is, right? Um, it just sets up their relationship for what happens later in the movie. I think it's also, I mean, what's essential about Zoe Saldana's character is basically mm-hmm. we need to establish the fact that currently Barbara is uh, suffering from dealing with uh, matriarchal uh, like people. Because yeah. the, basically, the, okay, sorry, spoilers. In the end, we, we all discover that she is definitely estranging herself from her own mother who's suffering from cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to see like an older woman try to reach out and care for her and just that like just kind of like, you know, uh, invokes some sort of negative reaction in her. Mm. Because the thing is like, you know, she is somebody de- dealing with the possible loss of her mother and to have another woman try to overtake that position. I mean, it's not clever. It's, but I will say... It's not obvious, but Zoe Zaldana is definitely supposed to be some sort of like a matriarchal replacement. Yeah. And then like, you know, poor Barbara is like kind of lashing out, which also, I mean, it for me, it felt like we just needed to have a situation or an incident which would spike the, the moment where she has to run away. Yeah. Because basically, uh, I don't know if it's the same in the graphic novel, because once Barbara uh, hits uh, Dr. Teacher, yep. Which happens? Yeah, in the yeah, book. it happens in the book. Yeah, so yeah. like she calls the house, the sister gets upset, then she runs away. Yeah, and then like okay, then comes the action packed ending yeah. of the movie. So it's like I mean I I think probably I guess it stays true to the source material mm-hmm. and it does uh, well enough to have the actors flesh out the characters. You but definitely don't feel like you're missing out by having not read the graphic novel. I think yeah, probably, but also at the same time, um, again, this is not. 
a Harry Potter movie, boys and girls. But regardless yeah. of whether yeah. the marketing, I mean, the mar- regardless of the bad marketing, would you still recommend this film? I would heavily anyone? recommend this film. I would say, yeah, it's definitely a nice movie. Also, because you can read stuff into it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the relationship between uh, Barbara and Sophia. Yeah. It's definitely because uh, Sophia's attracted to her, but she's too young to really kind of understand. Oh, you, you, that's the vibe you got. Because of the shit Barbara puts her through, mm. like you only would stay next to someone if you were kind of attracted to them. I would say... Like you would not stay that close to a friend if they were that weird. Or even, here's the thing, I would say like, because she is the evident outsider, because they kind of established... Oh yeah, she's from Leeds. She's from Leeds, right? With like the most southern accent I've ever she's heard. 13, <laughs> leave her alone. <laughs> no, but I mean... Then get a girl from Leeds for fuck's sake. It's a big city, you can find a teenage actor And there. you're going to pay for that with the budget this film has? <laughs> Yeah. And the amount of money that's going to make back immediately. Yeah. What? Negative uh, thousands. Exactly. <laughs> Probably okay. negative. So let, let's, let's be, you know, uh, <laughs> let's take care of the money first, sir. Okay. But I mean, I mean, I'll say this, right? Uh, but this is, for me, what I felt about the Sophia, I won't say it's an attraction, but it's more like she is, especially the fact that she's English. Mm. Like she is, unlike these very uh, bratty American kids who just pick on her. Yeah, she represents uh, w- good manners, being nice to people. She's just empathetic. I, I wouldn't guess. say it's like she's uh, attracted to her. I would say like she feels sorry for her, and she also wants to understand because most of the times, right, all her introductions, right, is basically a question: What are you doing? Who are you? Uh, what's going on? And the thing is, she's just curious. And I suppose when she dances into his her world. Especially that scene where you see her like st- uh, sticking the dead deer, yeah, and then she's like saying, "Okay, I don't want this anymore. I'm afraid. Please yeah. take me home." And so it's like, all of a sudden, like she, I mean, maybe it's also young curiosity, which you know, yeah. like, and then like it blows up in her face, like, "Okay, like everybody's telling me that this girl is weird." But the thing is, you know, like you shouldn't judge people. Maybe I, I, I should be a nice girl and like I, I'll hang out. I guess, but. And I still feel that um, her limits of wanting to interact with this person is that if it was just out of curiosity or because of Mm -hmm. feeling to be empathetic, is that even in the first two days of talking, like she is so abrasive that I feel like you need to have an emotional maturity far beyond what you could have at that age. I guess to stick up. Also, because the way she gets hurt later, like in certain things that Barbara says and does, like when they have their office falling out. Yeah, mm. um, I feel like again, that's linked more towards some a kind of bond which goes beyond friendship. Not necessarily. I wouldn't even say friendship. Not, She's I'm, just curious. Yeah, to I'm me. not saying. I'm not trying to imply anything sexual. I'm just saying that there is some kind of deeper attraction. Like going a crush, on. maybe. Yeah, kind of. Because like, I, I like, I don't really buy that too much. But I mean, yeah. I see where you're coming from. But like, especially that scene where she leads the bully to her sanctum. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. the bully smashes everything. And then, like, the first thing that like, Sophie does is just apologize profusely. So it's like, she's just trying to help. You know what I mean? Because I think she is basically, like, we have doctor teacher. She's like uh, the young version of a therapist. Yeah, that she's like this young girl who's, like, trying to understand this girl. But yeah. no, she's just being nice. She mm. wants to help this girl out. So I see yeah. that more. I see and okay. I also see, at the, I mean, especially at the end, right, like, where, I mean, besides that poking the dead reindeer, yeah. mm-hmm. but also that final scene where, she immediately realizes she can't help Barbara because when yeah. she wakes up from uh, getting knocked out, and she's still she's just still crazy. Yeah. She's like saying, "Why did you take me upstairs? Like upstairs is dangerous." And then she just drops the glass and she's like, "Okay, fuck this, I can't help you. You you obviously, even after all that trauma, refuse to, like you know, be helped." And that that's 
that's the difference between Sophie and the difference between Doctor Teacher because it's basically Sophie is like no I can't I don't have the strength to do this whereas yeah. Doctor Teacher is like I have a family I have a husband I am designed and built to help people yeah because like she also mentioned like before this what were you I was like an investment banker or something and she says you know we're the good kind of bad kind I'm don't I don't know I don't know <laughs> but I decided to be somebody who helps people yeah so like that's what I think is like uh, of course thematically this whole movie is about uh, seeking help reaching out for help and getting help yeah. and the thing is right uh, th- the crux of it all right is like you can only help those who want help and that's like what I like about the ending of the whole thing yeah because it is when she finally confronts like the big giant yes. and then a giant is talking to her saying I'm not I didn't come for you like I didn't come for your mother I came for you yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like saying child like you're, you're trying to fight you cannot win yeah yeah it's like, so it's like it's like that you know that this is a losing battle. I'm just here to remind you is like you need help and you need to be the first step is you need to ask for help. And which yeah. is what she does because then she finally she opens up and sorry again spoilers. <laughs> she goes upstairs and there's her mother. Yes. Yeah. And she's like and she, finally it's like the you know that fractured mind she is in like all the walls come crumbling down and reality starts to seep back in. And then we see her... I mean, I love it. I mean, why... Also, I like the slow build-up we have towards hearing what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because whenever people try to talk to her about her mother or her family, like, immediately, their voices just mute out. It's trying to, uh, in an audio way, uh, audio-visualize. I sound like such a pretentious twat. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just to convey... Welcome to the last big podcast. (laughs) Convey how she's trying to literally block out any mention of what's happening to her mother. And I love Mm. that especially too because it's it's seriously a movie set in her mind. Yeah. You know, and like... uh, like I think that's a good adaptation because in the comics they block out all that text. Yeah, any mentioning of a mom and whatnot until the very end. Or like you know, but then again, it's a ripoff of Charlie Brown where have all the audiences speak. But I mean, like, okay, let's also bring up the fact that Tom also mentioned this like before recording, right? He felt that this was probably very similar to something like Bridge Therapy. Yeah, this is like the closest I can think of, which is also about kids escaping a fairly shitty home and school life by creating this fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Which they go to where they are all more powerful. They are your know, king, queen, you know, adventurers loved and revered. So wait, wait which did it first? Bridge the Terabith? No, it's Peter Pan. Peter Pan's the first one. Right? Peter Pan's the first. Yeah. yeah. Jim Barry's Peter Pan is definitely the first instance of a, a child escaping and like going to a magical world where they rule and they. Can, yeah, yeah. Okay. I see. This. Uh, but yeah, props to Peter Pan <laughs> and the Tinkerbell fan art. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry about that. I mean, what like, you mean? Uh, don't, Lost don't, Girls. don't don't Google that shit. Lost please. Girls? Oh, the Alan Moore show. Mm. Oh, that was great, man. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, I've read the first uh, book. You know what I liked about it? Yeah, it's unapologetic. Oh, for sure. So it's definitely Alan Moore and uh, who's the writer? Just no, he's no, the writer. She's the illustrator. The illustrator. I love the fact that she. Who's the illustrator for that again? Uh, it's it's a uh, Maggie something. I can't remember yeah. either. But the thing is, I love the fact that it's all done with like pencil color or like white uh, uh, watercolor. Yeah, so it, it looks. It looks like a Matisse painting. You know, uh, not just that. It looks yeah. like it was done by a child. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Which makes it all the more fucked up when it gets really perverted. Especially the Peter Pan section, right? No, for me, it was uh, the Alice in Wonderland moment. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because that's out and out pedophilia. Like, the other one is just kids being curious. Yeah. Why are we talking about this again? I don't know. I kill giants. Yep. So, uh, does this movie slay? I would say... Yes, it does. But you know what? They're definitely mm. disappointing moments. Yeah. Well, mm. I feel like they pulled back a little bit on the final reveal. 
But then again, like, I would say, like, okay, based on the adaptation, because the thing is, I have no idea what the graphic novel's about. Yeah. So it's like, maybe it's trying to stay true to certain things, or even when... But I do say constantly on the Last King podcast, like, you should adapt. It's like, yeah, for yeah. a different medium, you have to kind of do it your way. Yeah. So I mean, I guess it's trying to say that if you want a slightly more fleshed out version, you can read the graphic novel. Yeah. But the story was conveyed and told. How long was the graphic novel run? It's about six, seven issues last I checked. About all 20 collected pages together. Each, Yeah, yeah. Okay. So more or less. All written by Joe Casey, the guy who did Deadpool back in the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Ken Nakamura? Uh, something yeah. Nakamura. Yeah, Ken Nakamura. Because he, he wrote the script for this. Yeah, I remember that. Because like, I like that. I like the fact yeah. that the best guy to adapt the thing is the guy who wrote it. Yeah. Draw, he drew it because he would know what it. what can be sacrificed uh, for to tell the story in a timely manner or he'd be the best guy to ask to explain certain visual metaphors yeah. oh for sure exactly so I mean what do you think Sandra Tom would you give this what kind of rating would you give I give this a 7 hmm. uh, I feel like Richard Terabithia dealt with escapism better okay but in terms of um Trying to visualize how you talk about stuff like cancer and parental yeah. death to kids. I feel like this was a very powerful story. And also, I'm, I mentioned before this podcast um, that I have friends. I, well, I had friends who lost their parents to cancer around the same age, 13, 14. And they became also very standoffish and like mean. Right, yeah. Right. So when I when I saw that develop on screen, I was like, "Oh, I understand now." Kind of. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting revelation. I mean, like for me, well, I mean, the, the person is still a dick, but. You know. <laughs> I mean, like okay, like similar to like when I was mentioning, you know, Johnny's so-called arc in Cobra Kai. Yeah. yeah. Where you see like this person who you would perceive as to be a very you know like a very negative and a very standoffish kind of person. Yeah. But if you get to know a person, it's like no, this all comes from somewhere. Nobody's. Oh, nobody is a dick naturally. Yeah, there's always. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, some guys maybe. Oh, for sure. Uh, but also at the same time, it's like, um, I mean, why I liked uh, this movie especially is like, not just that I sympathize with Barbara, but because to me it felt like that is what. I mean, to me, that is one of the best representations of how a child would react to something as horrific as cancer. Yeah, mm. they would try to visualize and compartmentalize it into a way which they can understand and comprehend. Yeah, and especially the symbolism and like the use of the, like the like the runes and also like you know the link with uh, what's the baseball player Kovefe? Uh, <laughs> Ko- Ko- Kowalski. 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 Yeah. And then, like how she like takes things that hurt her and then she uses them and change and changes them into things be- becomes little weapons yeah. to her. Yeah. You know it's like well, I love that I love that the the use of taking what what that doesn't kill you that to make you stronger. I mean yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah yeah. And it's uh I mean it's beautifully done. Uh, great performances all around. Uh, I mean okay I'm not going to harp again. I don't want to say that yes this movie is being mismarketed right now. But tell you what let's m- try to write the wrong things. Mm. If you want to watch a film about people dealing with uh, death. Some of the worst shit you can deal with. Yeah, you know, and not just death, the slow kind of death, the death that doesn't take away the loved one the immediately. Watch, yeah, the watch one where you can watch your loved ones mm. become... Wither and pass away. Just yeah. become a shadow of what they were before. And it's like, I mean, it's not designed to help you understand the mind of a person who's uh, d- dealing with the tragedy. But it's meant to give you a window into what it can be like to yeah. have that happen to and you. And I think that's probably the best thing that, in, sincerely, you know, aside from the marketing, like if this was target, if this was with this movie, 
was the, uh, like targeted that way because like I get it you, you're going up against Infinity War you need to have a, if you if you have special effects in your movie try to convince the audience that it's a special effects blockbuster yeah. now <laughs> but, um, the original comic wasn't an action film at all yeah so I remember but I can also yeah, it was a comic book yeah. but can, <laughs> <laughs> that too, but that too. <laughs> that's the problem like, I, can Im- I can imagine like the head of marketing be like it's a comic book Alright, it's called I Kill Giants. You fight a giant giant. She has a weapon like Thor. Okay, oh. that's how we, yeah, how we it's market hard, this. It's hard to see around the cynicism which surrounds mm. the movie. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like, I'm it's a sincere movie, but delivered by, you know, suits. But it's like, it, this movie it didn't come out this year, actually. It came out last year? Is it, it, no, no, it was this year. It, it, was st- this year. it debuted in the Toronto Film Festival. Last year. September, year. yeah. September last year. Yeah, so wow. it made the, the, the film festival around. So I pr- I'm pretty sure it has its audience. But for, so if you want to make money on a general audience, I don't think... I, I think know. It's this just is bad timing. Because yeah. there's also no major distributor. Yeah. Like, none of the big five. Not even Lionsgate touched this. And this is normally fodder for Lionsgate to, uh, you know... I would say this, right? This movie would definitely find its audience in a more cult setting like once this thing this might become a cult film a cult film once it appears on Netflix or something and it finds the the audience that you know it will speak to especially for like if you were a younger kid growing up and then you were dealing with issues and like here is like you know a visual representation of just you know the tragedy of like you know losing a parent Mm -hmm. which is something no kid should ever go through and the thing is right they didn't even establish that they had a father so it's like this probably meant that both their parents are gone now, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. we don't know whether he died or he divorced or... Oh, they never mentioned the fact he ran away, right? Nothing. Ah, okay. So oh. it's like, they don't... They In don't the comics, they did mention because I mean, I guess they imply it because all that's left is the eldest daughter who is, is trying her goddamn best. best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then like, you know, especially the scenes when she's lashing out and she's like even telling the brother and even Barbara, it would be nice if you two could help out once in a while. I, I shouldn't... I'm yeah. not... It's not fair that I'm in charge of I all mean, of this. I mean, for me, the most powerful moment was um, when she's trying to talk to Barbara and she's hiding behind a screen curtain doing like the puppet show. Oh, mm-hmm. with little, uh, yeah, yeah, little Karen. And she says, and I'd whatever. like to talk to my actual sister. I'm trying, Barbara. And then it's just like the facial expressions she's she's using where she's thinking of me trying to say something, but like holding back. Then she's also trying to hold back tears at the same time. It's just some of the most powerful acting I've seen it in a long time. I mean, I would give this to Madison Wolf. Just the scene when Zoe Saldana mentions baseball and she p- pushes a tear out. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. wow. Okay. Great job, actress. That was the loudest tear I've ever heard. <laughs> like, she goes, dunk, dunk, when it drops off her chin. Hey. So, I um, definitely want to watch this adaptation. Yeah, so, what's your, definitely watch yeah. this what's your number rating? My number rating? Uh, it's, a, it's a good, like, six and a half or seven. Okay. Okay. You know, so uh, definitely, I mean, recommend it. But, you know, uh, ignore the marketing. Ignore basically. the marketing. Okay, this movie is better than its marketing. Yeah. So there you have it. We've had three positively reviewed uh, things on our show for once. That's that's quite a rarity. Come to think yeah. of it. Yeah. So I mean, look forward to the next week where we shit all over Deadpool two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which yeah. is not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. No. We're gonna an alternate universe. We're gonna maybe. enjoy it. <laughs> And then, I don't know, maybe we'll watch Truth in there, Truth or There as well to have some shit in our... You want to do that? Yeah. Have a nice little shit sandwich. It's been a while since we had our Last King uh, quiz section. The Truth or Death section would be interesting. Oh, the three absolutely. Yeah, uh, let us know if you want to hear that. So, anyway... Or don't. <laughs> or, or don't. And uh, yeah, you you we'll can vote on thelastthing.net or on our SoundCloud page yeah, on sure. the comment section. Please, yeah. yes, let us know what we're doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think that brings us to our end. So, uh, I have been Eccentric Tom. I have been Mr. Toffee. And I'm Dr. Bunny Ears. 